Welcome to So You Want to Be an Ally. We share our stories and our insights on non-Black allyship to Black women. My name is Darlene. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I help parents advocate for their Black and Brown kids' emotional and racial identity development needs. And that's because our kids deserve the opportunity to grow, learn, strive, and thrive. My name is Olani Ke. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And my life experience led me to becoming an advocate for equity in the workplace, which led me to starting a consulting business where I help workplaces who want to do better. Want to be an ally? Gather around and listen up. So this is this is where I'm telling you this is where it got real for me. At first it was just like, oh, let me plant these seeds. This is where it got real. So we talked about calculations of safety and the risks and the ex- that our children are exposed to, um, and we talked about authority figures a lot. But this is a new this like relationships mm-hmm. and parents of friends mm-hmm. is like a whole another angle. Mm-hmm. where it's not necessarily that they're an authority figure, but society, systemically, it's, if you're talking about interactions and relationships between, between our Black children and other white children, systemically, we know that they're going to have more systemic support mm-hmm. in, in a number of ways, if anything yep. goes left. Yep. And so that's part of the, the talk. The other piece. The information. That's the other piece that we have to take into account. At least that's a part of my consideration because I'll tell you, many of the times I told him he can't go to the uh, the sleepover. He yeah. went to one sleepover, not another. I walked into yeah. that one kid's that one kid's house, and I didn't like the way that kid was holding on to my kid, and I didn't like the way that kid was yelling at his mama, and I didn't yeah. like the way that his mama was just standing there, let that kid hold on to my kid like mm-hmm. that. So it brings up the what will happen if I leave my yeah. kid here by itself. Yeah, just remember that recent story where the kids did something to the other little kid who was sleeping over. They made him like drink urine or something. The black kid went to a sleepover <gasps> and the white kids mistreated the black kid. What? So, but, but that's the kind of stuff that I was always fearful of. I was oh, always fearful because oh. there is something very interesting about that age group and the way that they play out the things that they observed and the things they're picking up on. Because what we're not talking about is again, as we're racially socializing our kids, those kids are being racially socialized mm. too. Mm-hmm. And, and at that age, they're playing out and acting out different things too. They're experimenting and guess who, with that. Guess who's the recipient of it? The wow. one black kid in the whole white group. So real question, like a whole other podcast, is your child really safe? Yeah. And unfortunately, like you don't have many options if you're like in a community where you're like one where of three like black families, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, do I, I, this is again, going back to the, wow. the extraness that is parenting while black. Do yeah. I isolate my kids socially? Or do I allow them to have a social experience and interaction? Because we know they need it. Yeah. What do I do? Do I keep them safe? Or do I kind of delay their social development? Right. right? Like No easy answers to there. Like everyone is just calculating and doing the best they can because it's, yeah. I think another, another talk that I wanted to call out is we've sort of talked about authority figures within the school, but there's also another like um, component of the school setting that is about the curriculum that our our children are being taught Mm -hmm. so as Jella has gone through (laughs) you know school uh elementary and and middle school now 
anytime I'm hearing them talking about issues or you know a time period, the civil rights movement, wars, the reconstruction time, uh, like a- anything that they discuss, the founding, you know, the the um, American Revolution, that's actually where it started. Mm. <laughs> I think that was the first time because that's early in the curriculum, right? Mm-hmm. That I was like, oh, interesting. So what did they teach you about that? Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh-huh. and what else? Oh, okay. And they were going <laughs> on a trip. It's always very interesting. They were going on a, the trips. That's a, we could just have a whole podcast telling stories about these school field trips. <laughs> They were going on a trip. The first trip, I didn't really make a stink with the school. They were going to Colonial Williamsburg in Virginia. Mm. And I was like, oh, Lord. Sounds about right. They were going to do a haunted tour and this and that. And I was like, okay, Jola. So before she left, I was like, okay, go ahead, go. They've been studying it. So I've been, I've had my own curriculum in the car on the rides back home when I would pick her up from school. We had our own other curriculum. Like I have to offset and add on and, and clarify and provide context for whatever this vanilla version of history is that you're serving up at school. So that's fine. I was mm-hmm. doing that. And then they were going on this trip and I was like, so what I want you to do is ask yourself and maybe ask the tour guides and whoever it is that they put in front of you, where were the black people? That's mm. all That's all I want you to ask. Cause I, I don't think they're going to tell you about the black mm. people. And what they, what was going on with black people at that time, but you are a black child and there are other black children in this group. And I don't think they're going to speak to the things that we've been talking about. She, Mm -hmm. she wasn't going to do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She wasn't going to do it because she didn't want to be a troublemaker. Mm -hmm. Um, It's what happened. It's like, mama, you just kicking up dust. Right. But the point is, I want you to have that lens. I want you to understand there is a part of this history that's not, that you're not being told. That's and right. that was, that was that big, that was the first like kind of school incident yep. where I was really take I, I took the time to really explain that to her. The next time was a school trip in middle school and they were going to Charleston and they were going to go visit a plantation. And there was all this conversation mm. about how the, the family that My lived hair. here were um, foundational to American history and they were senators <laughs> and this and that. And, and I was like, and Slave owners? Um, where's the part about where there were slave owners? Right. Are we going to go through this whole trip and glorify? We're going to omit that part. <laughs> like we're just going to leave that part out. And then we're going to take a tour and there's some old um, remodeled um, cabins. Oh God. And they're going to have a soul food dinner. I was so offended. I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I could not. Girl. With oh. soul food. <laughs> with... I want to swear to spit. So we finished <laughs> They finished the whole presentation and it was hilarious because there were about like five black moms in the presentation. <laughs> and within 10 minutes of that presentation finished, we were in a huddle. In the- <laughs> Y'all better do it. We had to find each other. We, hey. Some of us had never had a conversation and we're like, today's the day. That's right. Hey, my allies that are listening, you looking for another place oh to show goodness. up? Oh, this is a great place to show up. Because if so, it, it probably felt wrong to you in a room too. You were like, are they? You probably felt it. You knew, yeah. especially if you're from the South yeah. and you have any awareness at all. So, you know, I, I ended up <laughs> writing a letter. <laughs> I know one of the other moms ended up writing her own email and having a couple of meetings with them. And ultimately they adjusted the curriculum. The thing, the part of it that was also interesting is they were going to spend significant time 
on this plantation and going mm. to visit the oldest tree and da da da. And I was mm. like, the whole Gullah Geechee culture is right mm. there. I'm sorry. Why aren't you spending as much energy and time exploring mm. that? Like, why do y'all try to act like mm. Black people don't have history? Mm. Like, it's right there. You're going to yes. Charleston. They didn't do the Gullah Geechee thing, um, but they did have somebody that that had that knowledge. They, they brought a speaker in. So they changed things up. I was like, Lord. And that was a conversation, like just to, to bring it back to the top. Yes. That was a conversation that, or a, a series of conversations with the school that Jala was aware of. Yes. You know, and I told her when this was starting, if they don't change this, you are not going on this trip. Absolutely. I, you can be mad at me if you want to, but there's I, absolutely not. I'm not going to have you going to take tours of a slave owner's house, glorifying and talking about, we're going to have some soul food at the end of the day. I am sorry, <laughs> no, not my child. <laughs> nope. And I think that goes to the point about the other types of talks, right? Because this is not a talk that you had planned out or it shows up on some list. It's often reactionary, right? It's like, right. hold up, wait a minute. Right. And this is this is that correcting that we're talking about. This is this is one of those examples of correcting. And what's interesting about your particular story is that it's correcting before the harm has mm-hmm. <laughs> transpired, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. let me eat, let's get in, in front of here and let me plant the seed and dig up anything that you thought was going to happen around this trip. And I think it's very powerful that you even came back and checked in with her and had conversations about what happened because I found myself doing that too with Chris. Like, let me explain mm-hmm. to you why your mama was going off because right, right. now it looks to you that yes. mama's just upset or she going yep. off about something, she being extra, blah, blah, blah. Over no, 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 That's right, and that's right. Yeah, because they don't like, really no, have, they don't they have don't. the full context yet, so they don't they get don't. it. And what I am doing is modeling what they should be upset by. Yep. We should not just all lay by the wayside and be like, oh, well, they meant no harm or, oh, it won't be that bad. No, 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 no. Yep. We pick up dust. There's and so that's what you're that you modeling gotta, for her. Exactly. You're modeling for that for exactly. her. And by bringing her into the fold, because remember the story about her just not having the awareness uh, at the ice cream thing, right? When she was like, yeah. she didn't even think anything about it. Yeah. This is an example of us implanting this awareness. Now, in reality, part of the things that I thought about is like, am I doing more harm than good? But I'm willing to weigh that out because that exposure, right? Mm -hmm. That exposure to the information, it does take its toll on you. But I would rather you know that your friend who you went over to a sleepover and they're mistreating you, I would rather you know that. So you know how to exit stage left. Because I really, to that point about another talk, I, when he went to that sleepover, mm-hmm. I explained to him like, okay, if this goes down, this goes down, this, this goes down, right. I need this, this, these are the steps that you need to take. You yeah. need to call me. You need to text me. This is the cold word you can use. Yep. Like I need oh, you, yes. I need you to know that like, yes. these are the those, things that, that you can those do. Those are the rules. Mm-hmm. Yep. So along the lines of the, the school trip, I had a different kind of conversation with my son around just curriculum in general. So as a result of the experiences I had in up in Michigan around that particular school, I made a decision to prioritize Chris's racial socialization over his academic requirements, right? So what does that mean? Well, I decided to pull him because they were essentially going to send him on a middle school and the middle school was the whole format was similar to the, um, the upper uh, elementary. And so they do that up here, by the way, right? Like they segment like lower elementary lower and elementary upper elementary. elementary. Mm-hmm. And then you what have- What grades are upper elementary? 
third through fifth. Okay. And then six through eight is middle school. And the reason for that is because their school districts are very small here. So in like, if you're from Cincinnati, you're from large places, like there are like 12 elementary schools, yeah. four <laughs> middle schools, uh-huh. five high schools. That's not the case yeah. here. They have a bunch of little districts. And it's interesting though, and this is what I meant by this Michigan whiteness versus this Kentucky whiteness, is that a lot of these districts are called, are carved out by gerrymandering. So they uh-huh. intentionally went and changed wow. the districts based mm-hmm. on how they wanted people to vote. So wow. for, so you'll see all these little districts and you'll see like certain communities grouped together that's in this one district. And you'll see these mm-hmm. weird lines that move around. Like, and you're this, like why, why are these yeah. grouped together? Yeah. They're literally in different geographic yes. areas. <laughs> Funny enough, when I went to this district, they wow. assumed that I was school choice and school choices mm. when you try to get into their district because you're not able mm. to live with them. But I was in school choice. I was Girl. actually in the district and they tried yeah. to play me because I was black, but it was cool because wow. I helped them out. Um, okay. And so that's the energy. <laughs> they got some assistance. They did. And their awareness. And a, they got a four letter, a four page letter. Thank you, Aaliyah. Um, it was an email. I offer my my um, difficult dialogue um, training resources to them. I'd be more than happy to serve as a consultant. They start putting me on all these, yes. all these programs and set me at all in all these meetings. They wanted me on a diversity this and parent mm-hmm. that. Yeah, that's what I got in your ass. That's why. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so because of that district, I pulled my child out of that district and put him in a predominantly black district. And uh, we know, unfortunately, that in most spaces, the predominantly black uh, districts and schools have less money. And by design. Absolutely. And so less money, less resources, you know, the educators, some of them are on a saviorism complex, which is a whole Mm. nother Mm -hmm. um, podcast. Some of them are there because, you know, they really value their job and they want to see kids do well. And so that's kind of what Chris was walking into. And so once we got into this space, in my making my decision, this is what I realized. I said, yes, he'll probably have fewer resources and he will face different academic challenges, but I am his first teacher. I will be his teacher from here on out. And we just gonna make this shake because for me, his racial identity development and him being in a space where teachers look like him and if they didn't look like him, they understood how to interact with him was way more important. That validation from his peers, right? And again, we dealt with different dynamics, but at least I could eliminate that other layer that I had to navigate having him in another school. Calculations. Absolutely. Right. Calculations of emotional safety. We're dealing with esteem, confidence, right? And this is important. This is so important in the swings. But because of that, I knew what was going on. So he started bringing his schoolwork home and it was not up to par. And so we would have to have conversations because I would say to Chris, I would say to my son, well, son, do this or take this additional step. And it's because I understand what he needs to learn. So mind you, the curriculum, the expectation that they had of him was not at the level he needed to get what he needed at this grade to go to the next level. And I knew that. So he would say, well, mom, my teacher didn't make me make me do that. Or my teacher, did, or that wasn't part of the assignment. Or, and he would always have some rebuttal. Right. Well, mom, this, or my teacher said this. And I'd be like, Chris, listen, so many times. So the point where I would say, Chris, this is not a conversation. <laughs> Let me explain to you why they didn't have you do this. Right. I'm not overworking you. Let me explain to you the school system that you're in. Let me, because by this point, I've been in the PTA. I'm the vice president. Mm -hmm. I'm walking around the school building. Mm -hmm. I'm meeting with the principal. I know exactly the resources they have. I know the struggles they're having in the building. I know what they mean when they talk about parent interaction and engagement Mm -hmm. and how they don't have Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. I know what they mean. 
So I'm sitting there and I'm watching these teachers, this teacher calling out all the time, this teacher, mm. all the kids are talking about this one particular teacher. You got the other teacher who's trying to connect with the kids and use the slang and it's oh weird, gosh. right? So <laughs> that conversation is a whole nother thing about when we went to parent-teacher conferences and I told Chris that I was gonna talk to her about how she needs to respect like the kids' culture and stop right. mimicking their culture yeah, by trying to use weird. slang they don't need you to that's use gross. slang to connect with them but it right. happens so often so that was the gist of the conversation for that entire year he stopped doing it in seventh grade <laughs> i guess what he got sick of saying <laughs> my mom my, my teacher didn't expect it but that yeah, sixth yeah. grade year i was on it mom my teacher did i said chris you're a young black boy they don't expect you to know and he's amazing in math they don't expect you to know how to read or write so for them if you turn in this bs paragraph that you just right. wrote that doesn't They'll sound like, like oh a my paragraph they will accept it yes. compared to whatever they have in there and they will give you the a right and you walking around here not even know how to put a full paragraph together you have no right. writing skills and yet they gave you an a mm -hmm. that, that is not okay and i saw yes. that so many times wow and so having a conversation with my son and getting my son to understand that, yes, I'm putting pressure on you, but let me tell you how this academic environment has no yep. expectations of you. Yeah. And I need you to understand that I'm going to, and yes, I'm annoying. Yes. And yes, I'm making yes. you do quote unquote more work, but the world has no expectation of you. Those teachers in there who smile in your face, they don't got right. no expectation of you. And some of it comes from a place of sympathy. And, and, and even for, and this is the thing that I have with the white saviorism in the education system. So I grew up with nothing. Times we didn't eat. Times our lights wasn't on. And I'm smart as hell. Right. So why do I not need to get the next level of skills? <laughs> right. To, to my college? son. Mm -hmm. Because if, if no one had challenged me and gave me an out, quote unquote, because I hadn't eaten or because my lights was out, right. I wouldn't have made it to college. Right. I wouldn't have went on to get a master's degree. I wouldn't have went on to get my PhD. So right. stop selling these kids short. Yep. Because Just because of their con their environment. Feed them, give them yep. some graham crackers, give them a milk and sit them down and let them do their work. Yep. And that is the difference yep. between some, some of the, the Afrocentric approaches yes. to teaching and yep. the white saviorism approach mm -hmm. to teaching. That is the conflict. Because mm -hmm. the expectations, the standards exist, regardless. Yeah. We're going to get you up to, you know, you might be hungry. You might not have the yes. shoes you need. We'll navigate that. There is yeah. case management outside of the classroom, but in the classroom, the expectation is that you excel. And did you also talk to him about why you moved him at all in the first place? Like, did he understand? Yes, actually, I, I did. am prioritizing I did. identity development. I over... didn't use those words. I said to him, I said, part of why you struggled last year with your yeah. teachers was because I told you last year, they have an expectation of you. Now this setting, while it eliminates the challenges we had in the other setting where nobody is gonna be looking at you different as a black boy, in that way, they're gonna be looking at you different as a different kind of black boy yeah. in this way. So we yeah. did have that conversation. And that's yeah. a completely different talk <laughs> because it gave him two different lenses. And I don't even yeah. know if it registered. I don't mm. know if he'll come back to me at 30 and say, hey, mom, mm -hmm. it all made sense. But in the mm -hmm. moment, I, I was very verbal and vocal and explained it yeah. to him. Like, you needed to know this is the world in which you live and this is the decision I'm making. Because yeah. you loving yourself, and this is how I told him, you loving yourself and seeing yourself around you and not getting those weird messages about what kind of Black kid you should be, that's yeah. why he went to the all-Black school. Because this is what we know about going to HBCU. You see all kind of Blackness. At oh, HBCU. everything. Yes. I needed him to go to a Black school yes. so he could see all kind of Blackness. And yep. I told him, you're going to see some kids in there who fighting who run around there mm -hmm. ain't paying attention in class <laughs> who care more about what they got on than anything else you're gonna see that 
Yep. And you, this is your chance to decide what kind of black kid you want to be. And I think that was the best decision I ever made because mm. the other story, next story and the next one is about Chris, my son being a different kind of black kid. That's what that foundation laid. And it's like, what do we, what pathways do we kind of shut yep. down for kids just based on yep. the environment that they're in? Yes. So to explore all facets of who they could potentially be sometimes because they're in an environment where they're getting a certain message about expectations and what's, yep. oh, you like that? That's weird. And so yep. they pursue something that they're actually interested in. Yep. You know, yeah. And it wow. doesn't eliminate it. It just lessens the opportunity that I have as the parent to facilitate that and leave space for mm-hmm. him to explore that because he mm-hmm. might hate it. But I know that having mm-hmm. him in middle school, and I know this by every grain of my spirit, that I would have been dealing with way different issues. It wouldn't have been around what kind of black kid you want to be. It would have been around mm. how are you responding to how these other people are imposing their ideas of what your black Wow. Be. That's what that would have been. On top of him also trying to figure out trying to, yes. who he is as a black kid. Yes, yes. Right? Because there are still black students there and those students arrive at their racial identity development, you know, even in that context. So this is not to yeah. say you know, you have to always choose. I just felt like I had to choose in that moment. And he's now got the opportunity to be more centered and clear about who he actually is in a different way than would have been. Yes. I think that being, you know, now Adela is in eighth grade and having gone through this last four years at this particular middle school, the academic piece you know, that there's some, there's some resonance there. It's funny because it's the same teacher that I described earlier was not a good math teacher and she was struggling in math. And now thinking about it, it's just, it makes me wonder, I haven't really thought about the fact that Mm -hmm. this teacher was just problematic around the board. And I think she might still be there. (laughs) So anybody who knows us and knows, you know, (laughs) our teacher was back then will know exactly who it is. So what we saw is she struggled in math. She got so much better in math to the, by the time she was two years into middle school that she was in the advanced class Yeah. and continued to be the, in the advanced um, math class and is now going into high school and is being put in a 10th grade advanced math mm, class. Mm-hmm. And if you would have told me this would be my child in fourth grade, I would have told mm-hmm. you, no, we're just trying to get her to pass math. Yes, right. Like, it's not everybody's strength. Her That's strength like a is lot in English. reading and writing and literally, like that is her strength. We've known that she was reading four grades, you know, above grade level and all of that. Like we know that. Didn't really think that she had, she was, you know, gifted or would mm-hmm. be in advanced classes for math or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know that she's gifted, but be in advanced classes for math. Um, but here she is. So it makes me wonder like the other, like what potential is quelched Uh in these classrooms with these adults in these environments in the school settings where there is low to no expectations for you to excel yep it's crazy it's crazy yeah um there's there's data we just don't so one of the things that if you look in the research around test scores and quote-unquote at-risk students and urban education and all that like nowhere do you see teacher racial expectations right there is some literature on teacher expectation and academic outcomes right but when we're talking about like specific specifically racial components and how that informs curriculum and how that informs you know disciplinary practices like I wonder 
if people called it out because that's the thing nobody wants to call it out like if you ever if you ever been in any educational setting served on any pta boards been to any school district meetings or any of that everybody does a lot of damn pussyfoot they do not call things as they are and so that's the thing anecdotally i'm sure we have a lot of examples but research wise it's not captured yeah uh okay the last talk that i'll talk that i'll talk about which has just come up recently and it was really interesting is colorism mm. um so i think we've that's, now that's, it just came up now it came up explicitly now and it's surprising oh, okay. yeah because it's another it's another it's an, like we're similar in the sense that i go off on my you know speeches all the time <laughs> like oh lord here we go again yep <laughs> <laughs> and so the the conversation about colorism started a long time ago, but it wasn't explicit because mm-hmm. there had never been a reason to be explicit yeah. about it. It's just one of the many, many breadcrumbs that yeah. I've been dropping along the way and things that I've been saying. And I've been explicit in saying things and giving her messages about the variety yes. um, of skin tone and how beautiful everything is and, uh, and all of that. But the first time that I heard her say anything that sort of was troubling to me along the lines of colorism. She said something about how a mixed child would be so pretty and their hair would be so oh, pretty. And I, man. yep. I was like, oh, was like dog ears, ding. Yes. <laughs> so somebody stabbed me in my chest. I was like, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so I'm like, oh, I failed. My counteracting yes. wasn't yes. strong enough. Yes. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we had to have that conversation right there. That was like, oh, nope. Mm-mm. What do you mean by that? More beautiful. Why? What do you mean? You know. So we had the whole conversation, and I helped her understand like this is part of white supremacy, like the 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 valuing of as close to white as possible, yes. and all. You know. So we. We had that conversation, but now I'm like, okay, I need to be hyper aware yeah. because I'm like, hmm, is there something there? And what was interesting is in the conversation that we had about it, it wasn't that she was saying they would be prettier. So she wasn't actually doing a comparison thing, yeah. but just the fact that she was like them having this, you know, I think it was like two famous people like gotcha. one of these celebrities dating and having a child, like the kid mm-hmm. would be so pretty and their hair would be so pretty. And I was like, what mm-hmm. is this? Mm-hmm. What, what's happening here? Let's your spidey senses went off, didn't right it? Now. Yes. Yes. Yep. yes. So that's another colorism is definitely a lane of talk. Absolutely. That's And, that's and a, that is also very, internalized yes. in our community. Like, yes. Yeah. And it's also global. Bleach it is not a unique. Very popular exactly. product. Exactly. Okay. It is People not are, unique. You're like, to oh, Americans. I thought you were you chocolate and now you you light skinned. Like, oh, what did yeah. you what happen? So I learned a bit of information about the Asian culture that was interesting to me. Oh. And and I learned that it's it, the reason why they prefer light skin is different than ours. Like there's some relation from an mm-hmm. black American perspective, in that obviously the you know, if you were in the house, you were lighter. Um, you were treated better versus being a field slave. Well, theirs is kind of similar in that it's like if you were, if you were fair skinned, you were probably of royal lineage, right? Oh. So you had, you had the umbrellas. You weren't out social status. Oh. Absolutely interesting. interesting, right? When I learned that, I was like, 
Interesting. So yeah, when I learned that, I was like, oh, because you know, I'm always trying to look into, you know, that. Yeah. Um, How does this show up elsewhere? Yes. And so to, to kind of bring it back to kind of how we parent, I think it's even, I use those opportunities where I'm exploring different concepts for myself. I use that opportunity to teach my son as well. Cause I always give him an example or a context, right? Yeah. Like this yeah. is what it looks like for black people, but we are not the only one. Cause I also don't want him to be narrow-minded about blackness either, right? right? Like we spend so much time hyper-focused about yeah. parenting while black that we leave out all the other connectedness that exists mm-hmm. amongst us, right? And so even using the colorism and dating, right? So his attraction. So he right. he's at that age where he'll be 15 this year. He'll be 15 this year. So, right, we're moving into he likes girls. All right, cool. <laughs> Get ready. Right? Oh. You good? You good? Oh, you ready? I, yeah, I'm, oh, I'm so fine. Because, okay. you know, I'm all in his business. Like, I be all in his business. I'm sorry, but, Chris. But when I apologize for first, her in advance. Hey. Do you hear this, Chris? Your auntie apologized for, for me. You accept our apology? I hope you do, Chris. One day you'll listen to this. But I remember when he first, like the year when he first got a phone. And so, okay. you know, he had he had social media. And so I would pay attention to like who, who he would like and what kind of things he would watch. And of course, of course. And when I say, of course, I mean, I need parents to be aware. He's automatically going to find the light girls attractive. Now, does social media play a role in that? Yes, because they promote a certain standard of beauty. Mm -hmm. It's light. It's Mm -hmm. long, wavy hair, long, wavy, dark hair. Um, Or it's the boppy, blonde, skinny white Mm -hmm. girls, right? Like, so it's... I'm. Just go watch it. You can look at it. Like, this is what it looks like from a 14-year-old, a 13, 14-year-old perspective. Because they're going to be, he's he's a heterosexual boy, cisgender boy. So he is all yeah. into girls. Yeah. And he's all into bodies. And so yeah. this is why I was so, like, I was like, oh, my God. So how do I do this so I don't also raise a sexist, misogynist little butt mm-hmm. thing? Um, <laughs> So, you know, a couple of years ago, we had the conversation about dating white girls and what that meant. Mm. Fast forward a little bit, we're having conversations about attraction. And I outright have asked them several, like all through the last couple of years. Like, so these girls you're attracted to, are you attracted to them just because they're light skin? I'm just going to ask you. <laughs> Straight out, Straight ask you. All right. Attracted to. Because yeah. what I conveyed to my son, and I've said this to him, if you internalize that, then that says a lot about how you view yourself. Right. And as we continue to get older, it will be, and how you view your mother. I ain't trying to put the good right. on your yeah. But I need you to understand, for all yeah. these men out here who have that preference yeah. quotient or whatever, yeah. like that is a reflection of how you see yourself. Yeah. From, a, from an abnormal psychopathology perspective, mm-hmm. we haven't mapped it out in psychology, internalized racism. People are working Man, on it. Man, I was just going to say. That is a real thing. That is yes. a real thing. And it shows up in dating. It, and yeah. I'm not saying that people don't fall in love, right? There are different reasons mm-hmm. why people date, mm-hmm. why, especially my premise is black, some black men date white women because that's what they have access to. If you're in a community yeah. where you're like only three black families yeah. and it's only two black girls and you don't yes. find any of those girls attractive. Yes, that's, like, that's what it is. You yeah. don't hate black women. Right. You, you like who you like, right? You, you, yeah. You don't find those two girls attractive. You got two yep. options. Yeah. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. But there are real men out here who say, I don't like black women because they got an attitude. I don't like, like, 
all right. everybody else ain't got attitude so right. it's like real intentional yeah a turning away from your blackness like you completely uh-huh. in your blackness and that's why i stay on different. top of him for that yeah i stay on top of him because my fear is that he will turn you know how you were like oh my god i don't want her to turn into this exactly that's my fear like what i like, lost the fight i lost the war no. not because he loves her but because he prefers yeah whiteness. That yes, would that's the heart. difference that would break my heart yeah, i need you to prefer right. whoever you're attracted to whatever shade exactly length, curvature whatever prefer it comes who in, they are whatever it comes yes. in yes yeah whether you like them hippie whether you like them to have no booty yep. it's your choice like <laughs> it's your choice don't let it show up as you're only aligning with the standard of beauty that has been spoon fed to you for yeah. so many years the yeah. hair texture has to look a certain way certain mm-hmm. color eyes certain shape of eyes certain shape mm-hmm. of body and mm-hmm. you're completely rejecting everything that has poured into you all your life yeah. that's problematic yeah. for sure it'll be interesting to see how they continue to develop from a relationship dating perspective for yep. sure because that's probably the next like you said the next like arena <laughs> and the next level of these conversations yep. um with them mm. And even for him, it kind of makes sense because I think I'm the only one who has the 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 14, 15 year old story. <laughs> with yes, my, yes. With my little youngin. So thinking about at this stage of identity development, right, where all these things are intersecting now, right? Who you're attracted to, who's attracted to you? Mm-hmm. What do you like? What do you enjoy? What are your hobbies? Like he's pinning all, he's exploring all of this and pinning all of this down. And if you remember, I told you all, like I was intentional in his middle school years about allowing him to explore who he is and he's the anime kid so my son is not the sports kid but it's interesting because he's found this balance that I'm really trying to watch and see how it plays out because he he's smooth like he's real cute like real chocolate he's tall he got a little you know he understands his presence like he still slouch (laughs) over like a little odd 14 15 year old like you ever seen those really big kids yeah like they're really big but they haven't figured out that they exist yet like in that size yeah. of a body yeah but you know you watch him around his peers he's like yeah i know who i am <laughs> so that's chris but he's also this like super anime kid he's all in all the japanese anime he loves the japanese culture and i have to watch that too right because i don't want him to completely immerse yeah. himself in a in another culture and completely disconnect from his culture like it's it's nice to value yeah. and appreciate another culture but not at the, don't negate who you are. Yeah, Yeah. right, right. And we know that, again, anti-Blackness goes around the globe. So especially in Asia. So he's that kid. And one of the things that being in this realm and being that type of kid at this age is he, he has access to his peers at his age though right now if you ask a a black anime comic-con adult they will tell you like I didn't think anybody else was doing this I thought this was a white thing that's what they will tell you because Mm. they didn't have access they didn't know any other black people he doesn't have that problem he sees black manga artists he sees amazing yeah like they just came up with the black samurai like and i of course i yes. shot over to him as soon as possible <laughs> but he gets to see all this and yeah. this is reinforcing his blackness like yeah. i can still like these things that society yeah. has told me are unfamiliar to black people or blackness mm-hmm. and i can still be black yeah and that's the kind of conversation i've been having with him like this is an yeah. intentional talk about yeah. what does blackness look like for you 
-hmm. because that is a real conversation mm -hmm. and that is all that is both uh, counteracting mm -hmm. and correcting right because he has internalized a lot of these messages and I have to go in and unweave them yeah and then lay the foundation for him to explore and establish it on his own so yeah that was probably that's kind of where I end right now that is the, yeah. kind of the last the talk I, other talk I've had with Chris there'll be many many more so I think we've as we think about the different stories that we've shared we've talked about talks that are about authority figures Mm -hmm. and how that might go start out with teachers and coaches and be cops one day and and your, your boss <laughs> down the line and on and on and on. Um, we've talked about their talks that are related to their friendships. Mm -hmm. And then I guess as they get older, their relationships, their romantic relationships. Um, we've, we, their talks that are about how they interact with the school system, which I guess could be also expand over time to become talks about interacting with different systems like right mm -hmm. now they're in an edu educational system and that's what that's what that's what's available to them for the most part at, at least for our, our children um and then we talked about um talks about their identity development like yep. it's like combating internal racism and what does it mean to be black and how can your black blackness still be intact even if you like things like you know anime that you don't see reflected back to you as a black thing or as a black area of interest i mean i don't know you know what i was if, if, if that this that part of the conversation actually made me think about myself because i was really into star trek the next generation in high school and I, I'm like, might I, might I have actually grown and being a Trekkie if that was like something that I was, that I had access to? I don't know, but that was my favorite show. I was yes. obsessed with it. So yeah, so there's like these different lanes that I was trying to capture as we were talking. Yeah. And we, you know, like we always say, we, we don't have forever. So we got to cut this off at some point, but there's just so much. Yeah that we have, there's so many talks as, as we opened up with. And what we would like for our allies to do, you know, is obviously we tell these stories so that you can have a window into our experience and use that to help you become better allies and comrades or accomplices, um, whatever, whatever active term you wanna, you wanna use. We would like for you all to also begin to have intentional talks with your children Yep. Um, as, as Darlene has said so, so many times, our children are being socialized and we're trying to counteract and correct and your children are being socialized as well. And if you can now from, from a young age begin to counteract and correct and have some of these, well, different types of talks with them, it, it, it would be really powerful. You know, we could, we could really collectively raise children that are going to be able to do better than we, than we are right now. And so we have a few um, that we want to share with a few talks that we would like to, you to consider and, and, and ponder and, um, and have with your, your budding ally. And so the first one for me is always an important conversation. And it's honestly never too early to have it because children start to really tap into this aspect of themselves and this level of awareness pretty early on. So the first talk really centers colorblindness. So really challenges this ideology around colorblindness, this idea, I don't see color. How about you have a conversation with them about it's okay to see color? 
Because imagine laying that foundation and when another kid comes up and say, your skin is the color of poo, your budding ally will be well equipped. Even if yes. even even if the, the child of color speaks up on their own, your budding ally will be well equipped to say, no, this is what it means for people to have different complexions or different skin tones or that kind of thing in a very age appropriate way. And it's never too early to get that language. And I think that that right there is probably one of the foundational talks um, around color blindness, because that that just facilitates openness. That facilitates acceptance. That facilitates awareness and acknowledgement of differences, right? Mm -hmm. That we don't, Mm -hmm. and then and then that creates this space for you know, as we as you've heard us talk about how one conversation laid the foundation for another conversation. Then you could talk about whitewashing. Then -hmm. you can talk about whiteness um, and what it means and how it exists, right? Um, in the way that allows them to connect with their friends as they continue to grow older, because we all will come into contact with different cultures. That's really important. The fact of the matter is there is no such thing as I don't see color. Like what you're trying to say, I think for the folks that are actually well-intended, mm-hmm. what you're trying to say is I don't associate yeah. a, you know, a negativity to your yes. skin color. That's what you should say. Yes. If that's what you mean, say right. that. <laughs> Yep. You know, if you're in a conversation where you're having a, you know, where you're talking about racism and the perception of other people based on their race sure. and da 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 da, I don't see color as a false statement. It also yes. negates the experience, the negative experiences that we do need you to see so that you can actually yeah. be an ally and help us address it. Yep. So if you're saying you don't see color and I'm saying, well, this other person or this system is working against me because of my color, because of my right. you know, assigned race. If you don't right. see color, how can you see that struggle? How can right. you pick up on it? How can I trust my child with you if you yes. don't recognize that they're being treated differently as a result of their skin color skin when color. they're with you? Like, exactly. I don't need, like, I need you to see the color. So I, you absolutely. See all the other things that are happening around it. And I need you to join hands with me and work against those yeah those negative perceptions and um, events uh, and incidents that that might be happening. That's what it means to actually be an ally. Not seeing color does me no good. Nothing at all. And it's erasure. It's actually more harm. It's more harmful for me and my child for you to not see color. Yes. And if we're talking about protecting the babies, right? And allyship for, you know, folks showing up to protect the babies. Um, It's about protection because then you, that, that person in the hallway would have missed the, mm. the undertone to that, right? Mm-hmm. The, the the math dynamic, the teacher who's the math teacher, right? That would have yeah. been missed. Yeah. So it's like, oh, you're just no, I don't I don't want you to miss it. I need you to see it. I need you to see it. For that to be something that you're intentionally talking with your children about as they're growing up, when they come to you and they start asking you those uncomfortable questions, I think we've talked about this before. Explore it with them. Don't yeah. feed them that I don't see color line. Like, oh, I just see them as a human being, da, 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 because they're trying to figure something out that they're starting to see in the world. And you need to, you need to explore, let them explore that and, yes. and figure out how you can help them in a developmentally you know, appropriate way to understand what are the things that are attached to skin color that they might be witnessing that yes. shouldn't be. It's okay to see the color and understand how other people might be treating somebody because of skin color. And then you can have the conversation about how you don't want them to do the same thing. And you want them to be able to notice when that's happening around them. Yep. Which is a great 
segue into the next talk, right? Mm -hmm. And so the title of the next talk is see it, hear it, call it out. So by that child coming to you at that age, you're modeling for them how to acknowledge, how to also process and express what they're experiencing, what they're seeing, what they're observing, giving them understanding. So by you doing that, you're intentionally preparing your child to be a budding ally through directly addressing racism because they're bringing to you an example and your, your first instinct is going to say, oh, well, they may be too young to understand that. Right. Well, let's break it down and make it developmentally appropriate because they couldn't be too young because they saw it and they and brought they it to you. It. So if they brought it to you, then should, do we have to think of like developmentally appropriately, appropriate language, right? Like what mm-hmm. kind of words do we use to describe the experience? Of course. Yeah. But do we act like nothing happened? Absolutely not. So that's absolutely a talk. That's a talk that, you know, our allies can have with their budding allies. Call it out. And I think some, just to help, help you out, language that you can use when your kid asks you a question and you're caught off guard and you're like, I don't know what to say right now. Mm-hmm. Just be honest about that. You can literally tell them, you know, this is a very difficult conversation. Um, and I want to have it with you because it's important. I need a little bit of time. And can we come back to this later tonight at dinner? If you can't have the conversation in the moment that your kids bring it to you. I mean, I hope y'all aren't walking around here acting like you know it all for your children. Right. I mean, I think, I, think <laughs> I think many of us are, but I mean, I stop. <laughs> stop so that you can raise little people who aren't going to yes. go out and walk around and act like they know it all. Because yes. Call so them out, Nikkei. Model that first and say, you yes. know what? This is important. I, I definitely, we're going to talk about this, honey. You know, let's plan to, you know, come back to this later tonight at dinner or whatever. But I mean, but don't do that and then go back to it because then that will send a very clear message to your yep. child. But it's okay to build some space in, go gather yourself, figure out what it is and how you want to address it. So you can address it well instead of, yep. you know, mucking it up, training them from a young age to be able to see it and then, and, and, or hear it when it's, when it's racism is occurring and then giving them the right language to be able to call it out or call someone else, another, another adult attention to it. Super important. That brings us to allyship. Another talk that we want you to have with your budding ally is to actually talk to them about how you want them to be a good friend. you know, to their, to a good classmate, a good neighbor, a good citizen, whatever. And what that means, especially in a, if you're raising a child that is, you know, becoming aware and having conversations with you about race and racism, about difference, um, about how people are being treated, then you start talking to them about how do they call it out? How do they stand up for the people that they care about? How do they stand with them? Mm -hmm. and support them and how do they stand up for them you know when when those situations might arise um so it's important to start to have those conversations with them um and honestly you can start to 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 build that foundation by just again talking about how to be a really good friend how do you care when something is hurting your friend and then you can translate from you can start from there and build on top of that when your friend is hurting because of racism or because of you know um, homophobia, whatever might be going on, you know, their intersectional identity, like then you, you can build from there. So it, it, it's really important to start early because that child that you have, especially if we're talking about a white child, is going to grow up to have um, a level of systemic um, power um, that, you know, when they get to a certain age, you know, they may be in positions where they could actually makes a pretty, a pretty big difference in your city. Yeah 
in your state, like, you know, so um, you don't know who you're raising. So let's, yes. let's equip all of these children to build a, a better, a better world for, for us and them. You know how people say, well, I'm raising a doctor. Uh, you know, I'm raising, <laughs> I'm raising yeah. a pilot. Well, you're yeah. raising an ally. Let's raising talk about ally. that. Yeah. And to the point that you made in a previous episode, I liked uh, when we talked about how to start and anchor this whole entire process with kindness, right? Teaching mm-hmm. your kids kindness. You remember saying that? Yeah. Yep. It's like teaching your kids to be yep. kind. So that is the foundation of a friend. And then by specifically speaking about allyship, you're just giving them the language. And the yes, same yes. way you give them the language to take up for somebody who's bullying them yep, or yep. who's being mean to someone they like. That's just, it's just additional language. Yep. You're, you're, you're helping them name something and you're helping them like have the language to enact, to like put action behind it, right? Yep. So in the way we teach people to say, well, that's unfair or that's not nice. You know, mm-hmm. you can you can take it that next step further and say, you know, well, that's that's inappropriate or mm-hmm. that's it's that's not okay to talk to her like that just yeah. about the yeah. thing that came up. Yeah, that absolutely. that is the foundation, I think, that you you mentioned before that I wanted to make sure we yeah put for here. sure. Um, and last last talk that we want y'all to consider having with your budding allies would be about teaching them now at a young age to prioritize impact over intent when they've caused harm, when they've hurt someone's feelings, when someone is saying back to them, that's inappropriate, ouch, that hurt my feelings, whatever it is that they're getting back. It's really important to start to teach them that, yes, understand what your intent was. Intent is important. There are some people out here that are just mean. <laughs> and mm-hmm. there, but most people are not out there trying to be mean. So we're not we're not mm-hmm. diminishing intent. What we're saying is, when someone else has been harmed, that should be the center of the conversation. So it's okay to say, "Man, I really didn't mean that." That's all you need to say, and then shift to impact because the important thing is to prioritize and center and make the the person that's been hurt and make them whole again. That's how you build and sustain relationships. You have to heal the harm and mend the relationship to move forward. We know this in other relationships, you know, like think about when you've been harmed or hurt by someone, someone has done something that was hurtful for you. Did you want to hear about how they didn't mean it? Or like, is that where you wanted this conversation to be centered when you're still sitting there hard, mm-hmm. hurt or, or harmed emotionally? Mm-hmm. No. So it's important to start to figure out opportunities. There'll be opportunities to do that with your kids. It may not be in a racialized context. It may just be they did something, a friend of them was upset about it. And it may just be a conversation that you're having with them. Like, did you really understand what they mean, what, what they meant when they said that they were hurt? Do you know why they were hurt? You know, that's how you start to have them, you know, build the muscle to be able yep. to really think about when someone says that hurt me, for them to understand how that hurt them means they're prioritizing that impact over the intent. And actually in the act of prioritizing the impact, you're demonstrating the intent that you that that you didn't mean to hurt them in the first place. Yes. Are we, yep. Like, am I saying that clearly? Yeah. A lot of times people want to sit there, but let, let me bring it to the adult world and, and mm-hmm. the racialized context. When there's a microaggression, mm-hmm. we had a, a couple of episodes on microaggression. Go back and listen if you missed it. We talked about um, there's a microaggression and the person that uh, was the perpetrator wants to focus the conversation on the fact that they didn't mean it. 
And so instead of being able to talk about the impact of what they've said, the conversation becomes entirely about their intent. But the fact of the matter is if you really didn't want to harm me, you would be willing to step off of intent and come over to impact That's right. to make me whole again. That That's would right. actually be a stronger demonstration of the fact that you didn't mean to harm me Absolutely. than fit on your intent. Because what you're doing is prioritizing the way your image and you looking yep. like the good guy, you know, or girl, the good guy, the good person. Um, you're trying to just look, you want to present your image. That's really what you're prioritizing when you stick with intent and you don't want to move to impact. Impact demonstrates your intent. So let's get to impact. So then back to the yep. kid. Let's start to figure out how to, how to train up our children to be able to do that as well. Absolutely. And again, to the point where it brings us back to the kindness, right? Yes. Brings us back to the kindness. All comes back to the kindness, doesn't it? <laughs> the kindness, as you yes. pointed out, centers the other person, right? It centers the needs of the individual. And this can be nicely wrapped into conversations about see it, hear it, call it out, conversations about friendship, mm -hmm. conversation about allyship. Like this is one that is never too early to lay the foundation because they don't have to understand globally, generally impact versus intent right now. <laughs> they yes. just need the tools. They need to know like, hey, when this situation happens, this is how you respond. You can give them the understanding later, give mm -hmm. them the behavior, give mm -hmm. them the context as they're able to grasp it as they get older. This is literally what our stories have been as we're describing our racial socialization to our kids. Mm. This is what we've been doing. And so in the same way that we do that, this is what we're offering our allies. You're constantly planting seeds and nurturing and weeding out, right? That's our correcting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> weeding out things that don't help so that our, our baby's flowers can open and grow and expand and then they get pollinated mm -hmm. and then they spread out, right? <laughs> yes. That's what we're asking mm -hmm. of our allies. We want mm. a, a, just a vast garden of beautiful people <laughs> and all the different colors, types, how many? How literally, how many types of flowers are there in the world? Like really, exactly, that many, that many. <laughs> so, so if it's that many flowers and you go to a florist and you're planning your wedding and you're doing your bouquet, are you gonna tell your florist, like, I don't see the differences. <laughs> You're alive. I don't see. I don't see different I don't flowers. See, I, I just don't want see flowers. color. I don't. Oh, you don't see color, so I can put all <laughs> these different. Oh, okay. So we understand it when it comes to flowers, but we don't understand it when it comes to people. Make it make sense, right? Because what you're really, what's really happening is you're avoiding Absolutely. an uncomfortable conversation by Absolutely. just wanting to default. So I don't see. I don't see blindness. Nope. You know what I want? I want the song "Free Your." I was like, what is the name of the song? "Free Your Mind." Yeah. Free your mind. I want them to re um, redo the song and I want them to scratch the line, be colorblind from yes. the lyrics. <laughs> yes. Yes. Somebody You're did right. that song on one of these singing shows recently. We were watching it. And it made and you screech. Like, oh, yes. The era of colorblindness. Yes. Like, no. So. Only a DEI people get it. <laughs> I know. It's like, no, no, no don't no. be colorblind. Be color brave. We can borrow that. Ooh, Look at the TED I talk. like that. Who said that? It's a TED talk. Melody Hobson, I think. Oh, um, yes. I love that. Let me look that up real quick. Did a TED talk about being color brave. So I want them to do it over and, and replace colorblind. Yep, Melody be Hobson. Color brave. Yes. 
so with that you all we thank you for joining us we've given you a great deal to think about we want you to reach out to us if you have any questions ideas thoughts about any other types of conversations that allies want to know about about how to grow their budding allies or how to deal with stuff when you know your kids come to you and they're trying to understand that's what we're here for that's why we're having a whole parenting edition because alongside what we do as black mothers we understand that we want to have our children live in a space where you know all of the things that we're preparing them for um is eliminated in their age groups that's ideally what that I'm would for. be a dream yes world. yes because and you notice i didn't say the adults you know it, i mean yeah. it is what it is i'll deal with the adults nikkei you'll deal with the adults but for our kids <laughs> yeah we would love for them to have fewer experiences than what we've had exactly growing up. So. all right folks we're gonna end it there for now we want to make sure we hear from you so send us a note or your thoughts on the question of the day And if you want to speak to us on a topic, send it our way. You can find us on our social media platform at wannabeanally or email us at wannabeanally at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to So You Want to Be an Ally wherever you get your personal podcasts. You can find me, Alani Kent, at my website, www.mosaicforequity.com. That's mosaic, M-O-S-A-I-C, four, as in the digit four, equity, E-Q-U-I-T-Y. Follow me on Facebook and on LinkedIn at Mosaic for Equity. You can find me with that handle and on Instagram as well. You can find me, Darlene, at my website, www.parentszonellc.com. And follow me on Facebook at Donnie Davis, that's D A U. NI and Parent Zone LLC and on Instagram at PZ Parenting Coaching. All right, we're out. Bye. Woo. Good